Well, as you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up or turn it on, we're going to be in Psalm 27 today, Psalm 27, as we continue our series of messages uh, on what is your favorite psalm. And by the way, if you have a psalm that is especially, that is especially meaningful to you, then feel free to share that with us. You can share it in the comments if you're online, or you can send me a note, pastor at murphychurch.com. And uh, every week I'm just picking one of those psalms, and we are using that as our key passage for the Sunday. But let me ask you this question. What is your earliest uh, childhood memory of being afraid? Go back in your mind. What's the earliest memory you have of being afraid? For me, I was in preschool, and my mom took me to the mall there in Illinois to see Santa Claus. And uh, I remember we were upstairs looking down the escalators, and I saw him down there. You know, a big guy dressed all in red. What kind of man wears all red, you know? And he was wearing a coat indoors and hiding behind a white mask before people wore masks everywhere they went. And, and, and at that moment, I remember as being a, a little four-year-old guy, I provided my mother with one of the most embarrassing moments uh, in her life there, where I just absolutely threw a complete fit right there in the middle of the mall because I was scared to death of going up to Santa Claus. In a TED Talk from June 2010, novelist Karen Thompson Walker pointed out that a highly developed sense of fear in children is often a sign of an active imagination. And so this got me thinking a little bit. Most of us, uh, we grow up and we begin to realize that the monsters are not really living underneath the bed. And that bird that you hear outside your window at night uh, is not a dragon laying eggs in the live oak tree beside your bedroom. In fact, it's a little bit sad whenever, whenever uh, your children reach that stage where they no longer play dress-up. I remember the girls, they used to you know, play tea and things like that. It's kind of sad whenever they reach that stage where the imagination begins to change a little bit. But it might surprise you to know that even as adults, we never outgrow our imagination. You see, at its core, and make sure you catch this part because uh, a lot of what I'm saying today is kind of driven by this idea. At its core, fear is storytelling. It's the story of how we imagine things to be in our minds. And so anxiety occurs when you take the story in your mind and you project it into the future. In a sense, you, you could say that anxiety is, is fear's imagination. And now let's be really honest with each other. Many of us struggle with fear and anxiety. And I'm, I'm discovering that in this COVID world in which we're living, in the political climate that we live in, economic climate, that fear and anxiety are becoming a, a real struggle for many, many people of all ages. I know I, I struggle with that sometimes. Always have. Ever since that Santa Claus guy, I've, I've struggled 
with that. And, and fear and anxiety do not mean that you're weak. In fact, they, they likely mean that, that you have a healthy imagination. Studies show that some of our most artistic people, the poets, the great painters of the world, that they often struggle with fear. And perhaps this is because God blessed them with the ability to conceptualize the future, and our minds begin telling the stories of what can be. You say, well, hold on, Pastor. What, what about all these Christian t-shirts that I'm seeing right now about choosing faith over fear? You know, how does, this all, how does that all play into this? Well, we do need to choose faith over fear, and I'm going to talk about that today as we continue forward. But it may surprise you to know that there are many verses in the Bible that actually teach us to fear. Specifically, the Bible teaches us to fear the Lord. It is a healthy fear of the Lord that frees you to choose faith over fear. When we have a healthy fear of the Lord, that's when we're able to grab a hold of faith and persevere in our battle with fear. The fear of the Lord is the best fear that you can have. In fact, it's a continual theme within the Bible. And I realize that some of you, you're having to let the little, the little gears of the brain work right now because I'm, I'm saying some things that, that you're having to process as I speak them. But in Genesis chapter 42, you find that Joseph gained trust with his superiors because Joseph was a God-fearing man. In Exodus chapter 9, the Pharaoh of Egypt, the Bible says, brings judgment on his country because he did not fear God. The Old Testament law talked about the fear of God as a motivator for us to treat people well. Because we have a fear of God, we then want to treat people in the right way. Samuel reminded the people over and over again to fear God and worship Him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, we should fear only God. Paul taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that to work towards holiness because we have a healthy fear of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 reveals that those who rebel against God and cause great harm have no fear of God in their eyes. And then there's a wonderful proverb in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 where the Bible says, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Does it say wisdom up there? Yeah, beginning of all wisdom. That's what it said here in my Bible, you know. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All right, so what is the fear of the Lord? Well, this isn't a, per a perfect definition, but I'll, I'll give you a succinct definition. The fear of the Lord is having a healthy understanding of both God's power and sovereignty. The fact that God is a holy God. Now let me uh, give you an illustration here. I have uh, two pairs of glasses here, okay? And so uh, the first we're going to call the 
lens of holiness, and the second we'll call the lens of grace. And so whenever we look at God and we try to understand who God is, and we put on the lens of holiness, my girls call these my Harry Potter glasses, Uh, but when we put on the lens of holiness, the fear of the Lord allows me to project into the future the consequences of mocking God. When, when a Christian sees someone mocking God, the fear of the Lord should stir up within us a sorrow. Because if we understand the holiness and power of God, we also know the law of, of sowing and, and reaping. Remember in Galatians chapter 4? It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. And so when, when we mock God, when we don't fear God, when we don't acknowledge His power and holiness, His sovereignty then we are, we are literally setting ourselves up for destruction from the wisdom of the flesh. But then don't miss the last part of verse 8. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Okay, so whenever we look through the lens of holiness and we try to understand God, We see His sovereignty, we see His power, we see His majesty, we understand that God is also the giver of truth, the the creator of right and wrong and morality. But then whenever we put the lens of, of grace on, the fear of the Lord then allows me to project into the future the security of being eternally loved and protected by an all-powerful God. Now, Now think about that. That is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? Okay? This all-powerful, sovereign, holy God that, that we see and we understand is, is completely beyond us and completely holy. He is the giver of right and wrong. That same God also relates to you and relates to me within grace, and he calls us to believe in Christ so that we might not be at enmity with him, but we might be his child and be able to actually call him father and know him and walk with him and live in relationship with him. And that also leads me then to put on the lens of grace, and then the fear of the Lord that I have, which is a healthy fear, allows me to project into the future, and into the future I see the security of being eternally loved and protected by an all-powerful God. Are you following me here? The holiness of God and the grace of God bring into focus what it means to fear God. So I guess if I want to complete the illustration, you kind of have to do the glasses like this, right? So you're understanding God as the holy God, but you're also understanding God as a God of grace and a God of love. You say, well, which one is God? He's both. His holiness and His love cannot be separated from one another. The evil one's favorite button is the zoom button. The evil one loves to push the zoom button, to zoom in. The evil one loves to push the zoom button 
in our minds. And so what happens when he does this is you zoom in to circumstances or you zoom in to that moment and you get so narrowly focused and so uh, uh, fearful of that moment that you are in that you really cannot see anything else but the circumstances around you. It's like the map that has become distorted. And when we do that, we actually forget about the holiness of God, the power of God, and the grace of God because we become consumed and sometimes even paralyzed in our fear so that all we can see are the circumstances and the people right in front of you. Now here's what's, what's amazing. Remember, fear is how our imagination tells stories. Those people in your life become the imaginary equivalent of the monsters under your bed in childhood. At its core, fear is storytelling. It's the story of how we imagine things to be in our mind. And the evil one loves to push your zoom button. Because once your picture of life has become distorted, that's when he turns on the fireplace, opens up his storybook, and he can absolutely horrify you in his web of lies. And suddenly you find yourself trapped in fear and anxiety. And your imagination begins taking you to places that are very, very dark. And you begin seeing people, perhaps even that you love, as the monsters under the bed about to get you. A world in which we become stuck in the circumstances within it. Now we're in this series, What is Your Favorite Psalm? And today's scripture, Psalm 27, was submitted by two people. Uh, the first one is my father-in-law. My father-in-law, Roy Honeycutt. So Roy, if you're watching, everybody say hi to Roy if, he, if he's watching today. He told me he was going to be watching. Y'all awake? I'm, I'm doing that to wake you. There you go. All right. Yeah. Y'all are tracking with me now. So Roy, uh, last week as I was coming up to preach... Uh, he texted me and told me that Psalm 27 was his favorite. And then uh, later on in the week, Rosalind Kale uh, texted me and said, Hey, Pastor, I, I, I asked for Psalm 27. And uh, so I, I took out my phone, and I looked at my Bible there, and it was already open to Psalm 27 on my phone. And I thought, all right, that's it. We're going to preach from Psalm 27 this week. Uh, Psalm 27 and verse 1 is going to be our focal passage today. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Now I recognize that I had a very long introduction today, so I will move quickly through three reasons why it's time to close the storybook of lies that Satan wants you to believe and open your mind to the story of grace and hope that God has written for you. And here's the first reason. The Lord is eternal. The psalm says, the Lord. And you'll remember last week we looked at 
four different names for God. And one of those was the personal name for God. If you go into the Hebrew manuscript, it transliterates literally as uh, YHWH. They didn't put the vowels there because they felt the, the personal name for God was so sacred that it should not even be spoken. We often refer to it as Yahweh. If you take it through German, it becomes Yahovah, and so some of you may be familiar with the personal name of God as Jehovah. It has its roots in the fact that God has always been. And so you remember, last week we asked the question, who created God? And the answer to that is, no one created God. He is the absolute reality of all things, the Hayah, the one that just is, the one from which everything else comes. So here's what this means. Satan tries to get you to zoom into the circumstances of life so that you believe the stories about the future that are distorted, but the reality that God is eternal allows you to do exactly the opposite. Through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, the truth of God's Word, rather than zooming in onto the circumstances of life so that we cannot see any hope and we cannot see any future, it allows us to zoom out. And then it allows us to begin to trust in the reality and power of His sovereignty. And when you begin to zoom out and you begin to see the God that in all things works together for your good because He has called you to a purpose, you begin to see the beauty of His sovereignty. Life is not happening to you. Life is happening for you so that God may reveal His glory through you. The circumstances of your life become the story of your life, which is intended to be a story of God's glory. So understand that God is not a recent graduate to immortality. He has been, is, and always will be. And because of that, we can zoom out and realize that the circumstances that cause you to be paralyzed in fear today, they do not own you, and they do not write your future. You are safe in His hands, secure in the hands of a sovereign, all-powerful, and loving God. Reason number two, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. Amy Cummings over here. Amy, just lift your hand over there. She was teaching Wednesday night. She's like, uh, you know, uh, she was teaching it. Actually, you don't embarrass, so you're like, yeah. Yeah, she, she oh, here I am. Yeah. She was teaching Wednesday night um, with our students. And, and I really liked what she had to say on the importance of taking every thought captive. Because we are bombarded with thoughts these days. I mean, think about all the time that we spend on screens right now and, and the different inputs that are always coming into our minds, whether it's a text, a YouTube video, a blurb on the television. It's just like it's constant, is it not? And so all these thoughts are coming into our mind, and the Scripture tells us to take every, cap, every thought captive. The Bible here in Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light. Listen, our brains are powerful. And if we don't 
take our thoughts captive and begin to weigh the validity of our thoughts in accord with the truth of Scripture and the knowledge of our God, our brains begin to create all sorts of stories and thoughts that are simply not true. In John chapter 1, I'll put you in the Christmas mood now. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was, say it with me, the light of men. Now catch the imagery of verse 5. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This darkness that is overcoming everything, this darkness that is just swallowing the stories of people's life, the brilliance and power and truth of God's light shines into it, and it is so powerful and so brilliant that the darkness cannot squelch the light. It is, it is all powerful. And then in verse 9, John writes, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And who's the true light? Jesus. So Jesus is coming into the world, the true light who gives light to everyone so that all people might be redeemed. The Lord is my light. Fear moves in to that space between what we see today and what we cannot see tomorrow. And then fear begins to watch your TV. Fear finds your remote that you haven't found in a couple weeks. Fear sits in your lazy boy. It eats from your refrigerator. It sleeps in your bed. And fear begins to live in our minds and in highly stressful situations Fear can begin to take over our soul. Now, sometimes we find ourselves in moments where fear is moment to moment. Your emotion of fear throws you into a fight-or-flight reality. You ever been in that situation? You're driving down the street, somebody pulls out in front of you, and suddenly you're, you're just in a fear state. There's an, there's an immediate emotional thing. Nothing wrong with that. That's part of how we're wired. We go into that fight-or-flight mentality. But faith occurs when we fill the darkness of the unknown with the reality of God's truths. So, fear lives in that space between what I know today and the stories that my mind tells me about tomorrow, but faith occurs when we fill that darkness of the unknown with the reality of what is known about our God. I don't know, about, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. You say, last year, pastor, you have a connection, right? No more than you. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know God. And therefore, I put my trust in Him. And I know that He will write the story of my future. Faith doesn't mean that you have all the answers. Faith doesn't even mean that sometimes you're not afraid. Faith does mean that sometimes you just keep moving and you do it afraid. But faith does mean that we are depending upon God to light the way. The third truth here. The Lord is my 
salvation. Do you know that spiritually salvation could be understood in a past, present, and future tense? In the past, Christ died on the cross. He overcame death so that my sins might be forgiven in him. In the past, whenever I was six years old, the Holy Spirit began convicting my heart, and I realized that I was a sinner. And one night, I knelt beside my bed with my father, and there beside my bed, I asked God to forgive me of my sins. I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I was eternally saved. The Holy Spirit took up residence in my heart, and he began maturing me and growing me. And so our salvation could also be understood in a present tense. Paul talks about how we work out our salvation. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to work my way to heaven? No, Christ is your path to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But God continues to mature us and grow us so that he might use our lives to bring others to salvation around us. So we can understand the Lord is my salvation in the past sense of what Christ has done for us on the cross and for many of us in the room for that moment when you became a believer. But we can also understand our salvation in a present tense through the lens of discipleship that God is growing you and maturing you. And then you can also project it into the future across the field of fear. You can project your salvation into the future that God has promised eternal life with him in heaven and that we have a hope that goes beyond any circumstance that the world throws at us. The Lord is my salvation. And in him, rather than living in fear, I can live in faith. So here is my, my prayer for you today. That God will allow you to close that storybook of lies that Satan, and in some cases, dark, dark individuals want you to believe. And that instead, you'll open your mind to the story of grace and hope that God has written for you. He wants to use your story for His glory. Now, one more thing. Sometimes we're fearful and we deal with anxiety because things have happened to us that are overwhelming. And I, I just want to make sure that I mention this within this topic today. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. I am so thankful for Christian counselors, for physicians individuals that are willing to help people unpack what has happened so that they might be able to move forward to the future that God has for them. We want you to be healthy inside and out. And if you're struggling with fear and anxiety in a way that it has really just captivated you, it's okay to ask for help. You can reach out to Paul or me and we would be glad to help you how we can, and we can also put you in touch with Christian counselors to help guide you through the process of unpacking what has happened so that you can go forward into the future. Take your Bibles and look with me to Psalm 27. I'm going to read the psalm, 
and then we'll have our time of commitment today. So everybody got your Bible? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I, am still, I, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. For He will conceal me in His shelter in the day of the adversity. He will hide me under the cover of His tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above the enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in His tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek His face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversities, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? If this is the moment when God has opened your heart and He is calling you to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you right now to just call out to God. You say, Lash, I, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to say. There's no magical formula of words. This is about the sincerity of your heart surrendering to the salvation that God offers us in Christ. So you might just call out to God and say, Father, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. This morning, I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I ask you, Lord, to change me from the inside out because my heart is to follow you all the days of my life and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if this is your moment where you are believing in Christ for the very first time, I would encourage you to let me know to let the church know if, if you're willing. If you're on Facebook right now, you can just type in, I believe, I believe, and we'll, we'll reach out to you and try to help you. You might want to send me a note at pastor at murphychurch.com. I'd be glad to talk to you after the service as well because my heartbeat as a pastor is to help people walk in Christ and to grow in Him. As our heads are bowed, I recognize that the subject that we talked about today is intensely personal. It's personal for me, too. But I wonder if today is a day where you need to open up your heart to the story that God desires to write within you.
Perhaps you've been living in lies and living in darkness for a long time. And maybe we don't have all the solutions right now. Maybe it's just a step in the right direction. But right now you need to call out to God and say, God, help me not to be paralyzed by the fears and the darkness of the past, but to go forward, to be the person that you've called me to be, to live the story that you have written, God, help me to be a part of the sovereign story that you are writing throughout the universe. A story which proclaims your glory and a story that meets people where they are and takes them to the point of grace. Father, use my life. Lord, help me to evict that negativity and that that self-doubt, that darkness of the past. And to fill my thoughts with the light, the light of Christ, the light of truth. Transform my attitude. Transform, transform how I see the world around me, how I treat others. So that out of the love that I have for you, Lord, may I love others and care about them. Lord, give us as a church the opportunity to see you work in people's hearts in ways that only you can work so that our jaws drop in amazement and we say, this is God. Thank you, Lord, for being completely pure, completely trustworthy. And so therefore we place our faith in you knowing that you love us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Much love to you guys. Let's stand together as we sing this morning.